Uncharted program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. Welcome to the police calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 116. Be on the lookout for two Negroes. Number one described is about six feet, weight 180 pounds, age 27. Number two, thin, five feet, eight inches, weight 120. These men just held up and killed a streetcar conductor. That's all. Roll people. of this state and every state of this union are filled with just such stories 
as the one to which you are about to listen. Between the years 1921 and 1932, the June bug was arrested 22 times. The parole board let him loose, although he was a known burglar and potential killer. When he learned that a weak and apologetic parole system would always let him out, his killer instincts came to the surface and in his viciousness vowed that no jail could hold him. But how appallingly true was that criminal's conclusion. He knew that under our indeterminate sentence law, that men selected not merely because of any particular fitness for handling crime and criminals, but mainly to award political services, would sit in final judgment. He knew that after all the court's delays, if he could outsmart the coppers, he would have 99 chances out of 100 to beat a rap in the big house. The story of the June bug is its own indictment of the California parole system. Jefferson City, Missouri, August 12, 1924. For the time of robbery in the first degree, I sentence you, Willie Jones, alias Julius Jones, to the term of five years in the state penitentiary. Angeles, July 21st, 1928. And so, Willie Jones, alias Julius Green, it is the decision of this court that you serve the maximum sentence as prescribed by law for the crime of robbery in the second degree. Not less than one, no more than 15 years in the Fulton Penitentiary. March 24th, 1932. Willie Jones, alias Willie Green. You are aware of the terms of this parole. It's now entirely up to you whether you stay on the outside or come back to Folsom. I'll never be back in Folsom, boss. Six months later in downtown Los Angeles. Yes, yes you come now. Now, who did you stop then follow me? Well, I... Now, there's a break. Look at that. That's because you've got to stop for that signal. Come on. Just, just a stick up. No, no, no. Don't put your hands up. Just aim me over that chest. Hey, take it easy with that gun, buddy. I have to make it. Come. Shut up, will you? I'm hurting, Come on, you, Mr. Conductor. Make us nap now. Listen, if I give you this money, I'll lose my job. Don't care about that. Listen, maybe it's just to teach you not to talk back. Just move over. Let's get over here. Come on, come on.
Well, boys, what did you find? Well, not too much, I'm afraid. The fellow who saw the shooting was on the streetcar at the time, and all he was able to tell us was that the bandit was a Negro. Apparently, he got scared or something and shot the conductor before he knew what he was doing. You had any description other than the color of him? Yeah, he wore a gray cap and was fairly young. That's about all. Well, I'll tell you what you'd better do. You and Jack sit down in the central avenue district and browse around. See what you can pick up. This is a local boy. You might be able to get some dope on his identity. Wait a minute. Let's see what this is. Robbery detail, material season. Hello, Captain. This is Stewart again. That conductor who was shot just died over at the receiving house. What? Yeah, I've never recovered consciousness. I, I thought you'd want to know. Yeah, I do. Thanks, Stuart. Well, boys, our robbery case has turned into murder. Our conductor is immediately sent over the statewide teletype with a request to arrest and hold for murder. Meanwhile, Detectives Gibson and Jack mingle with the crowd in Los Angeles, Harlem district. Each area is open for any hint which might lead to the identity of the killer. It is a little past one o'clock in the morning, three days after the shooting in one of the small, smoke-filled nightclubs on Central Avenue. I'd like this nightlife, Jack, but after three days of this, I'm beginning to think I was wrong. You and me both. Wouldn't be so bad if we could breathe. Yeah, I'm getting so I've forgotten what fresh air feels like. <laughs> I thought he was calling me for a minute. So did I. Thought maybe we'd found friends. November of the same year, 
In a courtroom in El Centro, a group of prisoners are standing before the local judge to have the date set for their trial. Dial said to the prisoner will remain in the county jail till that time. Next case, Jack Boswell, suspension of Grand Press. Is Jack Boswell here? Yeah, I will. Oh, I'm Jack Boswell. How do you plead at this time? I never done nothing. Trial set September 21st. Next case, you mean I'll go to stay here in the jailhouse until then? You'll remain in the county jail until then. I ain't done nothing, Judge. What would fool you wrong keep me in this jail? That's what I don't know. Get back to your cell, Sergeant. Next day, here's your telly. Suspicion of robbery. Here's your telly here. There you be, son. You might as well switch forth in because this is where you're going to be for quite a few weeks. That, that's what you think. I'm not going to set you off or something I didn't do, no, sir. Well, it's all right by me. Only I wouldn't try eating those bars. They're pretty tough steel, even for a hard guy like you. <laughs> oh, go on, fool. The lab with me. I'll go on. Oh, go on. So funny, I thought I'd have to tell you about it. You should have seen his face. Boy, he was so mad, he looked like he was going to bust. No, I don't think I'd go to him if I was you, Ben. He looks like a pretty mean customer. I hate to meet him in the dark if he ever gets out of here. He ain't going to get out of here. <laughs> Unless he eats his way out. Busted out of his cell. Yes, sir. I don't see how he ever done it. How long ago was this? Couldn't have been very long ago, not more than an hour or so. Because I was about by there about an hour and a half ago, and he was there then. I don't see how he ever done it. Well, how he did it doesn't make a difference right now. You've got to bring him back. They need a sheriff's office right away. I was talking to the sergeant this morning, Chief, and he was saying... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hello, Sheriff. This is the Chief, Sergeant. Just left the prisoner. Busted out of his cell somewhere. Here's a description of him. Negro, 27 years old, 150 pounds. So cropped like that. All available sheriff's cars and local police cars are set out to scour the city for the missing Jack Boswell. And two hours later, the Imperial County Immigration Officers run across him hiding in a field just outside the city limits. Once more, lodged in jail, he is placed on the constant guard, never out of sight of his jailer. And a few days later, from police bulletin, it is discovered that Jack Boswell and the long-missing Willie Jones are one and the same man. Los Angeles police officers bring the suspects back from El Centro to face trial for the murder of Elroy Armstrong, streetcar conductor. And one afternoon, two months after he returned to Los Angeles, Willie Jones, alias Jack Boswell, alias Julius Jones, is returned to his old habitat, Folsom Penitentiary. There he boasts continually that he won't be in jail long. But once he gets back to Los Angeles, his friends will take care of everything. But the days go by and the June bug remains in his cell. Early one moment, both for the next. And one day in late November, he is called to the warden's office. Jones, my men tell me you're a pretty tough customer, is that right? I don't know what you're talking about, warden. I ain't never done nothing. I don't know if I'd exactly say that after looking at your past record, Jones. I didn't do all them things they accused me of. That's something we'll know more about later. There'll be a sheriff from Los Angeles up here next week. He's coming up to take you back there for trial. Is that right, Warden? That's right, Jones. I thought maybe you'd rather talk to me before you left. Might be able to help you a little. I ain't got nothing to talk about. 
crouching on the steps of Stephen Coleman's car, fighting the wind that threatens to hurl him to the roadbed below, the June bug waits for a chance to jump. As the November night fades into the first hour of the new day, the train slows to a panting stop for water in the little town of Wood. Ducking in between two freight cars lying on the siding, Jones opens the stolen belief, secures the deputy's gun, then watches with grim satisfaction as the train pulls slowly out of the station, bearing his sleeping guardian with Deputy Dennison awakes and discovers that he has lost his charge. Dashing into the small station house, he phones his superior in Los Angeles and asks for assistance, offering a hundred dollars reward to the person who returns Jones to his custody. Constable Truman W. Hamilton of Woodford Township is notified to be on the lookout for the fugitive Negro as our police up and down the main line between Los Angeles and Repressa. Driving his red Ford coupe, Constable Hamilton drives to the Woodford station, parks and starts an investigation of his own. But as he rounds a large train car, he suddenly finds himself staring into the business end of a pearl-handled automatic, firmly gripped by a huge Negro. Put him up. What? You have one. Put him up, I say. Don't waste no time, do it either. All right, yeah, that's better. You all don't mind if I take your gun, do you? I might need you. Uh, what are you going to do? You and me are going for a little ride in your car. You're going to do the driving. As far as the hour looking for you... They see us, they'll kill both of us before they know who I am. So tough luck for you, boy. Because they ain't going to kill me. Come on now, get in that car. Yeah. Now, now, just get me around on the other side and we'll be on our way. Come on now, get that thing moving. Uh, listen, if I let you take the car, won't you leave me here? I've got my life to think of. Giving you all room, sit up your mouth, you'll have no life to think about. Come on now. Get this here, he's moving. All right. Drive out to the main highway and head south toward Los Angeles. Uh, okay. I, I suppose you know that you can't get away with it. You drive that car. I'll take care of the rest. Uh, this highway will be filled with police cars in a few minutes. And when they see you, they won't dare shoot you. You my protection. Uh, I wish I could believe that. Deputy Sheriff Jeb Stewart of the Newhall substation and his partner, Deputy Sheriff Carter, notified of the escape, are cruising the highway between Newhall and Falcon, eagerly scanning every passing car, hoping they will stop the Red Ford Coupe. Jeb fearing the worst because of Constable Hamilton. When suddenly... Looks like something's going to over the other side of that ride. Yeah. Be able to see what it is when it's up the hill. Yes. Look. It's an old Ford, all right. Turn off the light. Quick. Yeah. Yeah. This is it. Let him pass. And we can turn around and get him from behind. Have a better chance that way of missing Hamilton. That's it. Hamilton driver. That's what's missing the funny part. You said it. All right. I'll turn around and follow him. Maybe we could shoot the tires away. That would stop him. Yeah. What do you suppose that guy would do to Hamilton if we did that? Right. Watch it. I think it's slowing down. What's up? I don't know. 
Cooley. That's funny. The board stopped. Look. One of them is looking out that back window. Can't see whether it's Hamilton or the other one. He's going to shoot it out with him. Keep down low. I'm going to take a chance to through that back glass. He could only have a few cartridges left. Maybe we can get him to waste them. If he doesn't hit one of us first. Yeah. The door's open. It's Hamilton. Now we can blast the back out of that board. You hit him, look. Come on. We're going to close in on him. Hamilton's been hit, too. He's lying over there in the road. Yeah, come on. Hamilton, are you badly hit? In my back. I can't tell how badly. Did you get that guy? Yeah. You won't have to worry about him anymore. He caught a 45 slug smack through the head. Come on, Carter. Give me a boost of Hamilton into our car. We've got to get him to the hospital. Now, what about that nigga? You stay here with him. I'll send the boys back to the wagon to pick up the body. Rushing the wounded Constable Hamilton back to the new hall receiving hospital, Stewart notifies the substation and asks them to go at once to the deserted spot in Mint Canyon to pick up Deputy Carter and the body of Jones, the June bug. This done, he returns to the operating room, hearing the work. How is he, Doc? Uh, we'll know in a minute. Let's get him on the table. Already, Doctor. Okay. Now, uh, let's see. Hmm? Uh, I was about to Doc here. Is it bad? Hamilton, is you're not just about the luckiest constable I know, sir? Well, what do you mean, Doc? Simply this. You see this leaden pellet I have in my hand? Yeah, a bullet. Yeah. The one that has your name on it. Only this particular slug stopped on its way and hit something else first. You mean it's not a bad wound? I mean that it's not even big enough to be called a wound. I picked this bullet out of your back with my fingers. <laughs> Left the dent in his back about an eighth of an inch deep. He'd be fit as a fiddle just as soon as he recovers from the shock of being hit. Doc, I've never had an awful lot of love for you bone snatchers, but right now, if you could cook, I'd marry you. So ends the story of the June bug, the principal character, a paroled yet hardened criminal lay dead in the morgue with a 45 caliber police bullet in his brain. But what of the police officers whose life he vowed to take before he would go back to the big house? What of the parole system which made it possible for this potential killer, gun in hand, his brain distorted, and in its madness conspiring to get even with society? Only an informed and outraged public can answer that question and revise the laws which falls so far short of their altruistic objective. Thank you, Chief David. The Los Angeles Police Department realizes that six seconds count when criminals must be kept. Hundreds of radio cars patrol the city day and night, ready to dash to the scene of a crime. As these cars cruise slowly about, hour after hour, they require an economical gasoline. Then, when the alarm sounds, they require an emergency gasoline as they leap to top speed and go roaring to the rescue. Rio Grande cracked gasoline has met these requirements more efficiently than any other gasoline. And that's why it's specified exclusively for the police and emergency cars of Los Angeles, Oakland, Berkeley, Maricopa County, Arizona, and many other cities and counties. 
you'll find the secret of Rio Grande's success revealed for the first time in the new double-size edition of the Calling All Cars News. Get your free copy of this interesting publication wherever Rio Grande cracks gasoline is sold. If you have boys or girls in your family, ask the Rio Grande attendant about the many new free gifts, the G-Man and G-Detective outfits. But the biggest bargain of all at Rio but the biggest bargain of all at Rio Grande stations is Sinclair Motor Oil. The motor oil and all the harmful petroleum jelly removed. A whole plus of concentrated, pure, guaranteed lubrication for only 25 cents and 30 cents in sealed cans. Pleasure to present the 